0: Have you ever been the victim of a hoax? Some of you have. And, you know, quite frankly, some of those are just plain funny. You know, we we have a saying in our culture, ah, I've been pranked, you know, and, and sometimes those are funny situations. But not every hoax is funny. My hunch is, in a group this size, that some of you have been duped by a hoax in which maybe you lost some money. Someone convinced you that this would be a great investment and so you poured some of your hard-earned money into that investment only to find out it was meaningless, empty. And some of you have suffered at hoaxes in another way. Maybe you, your reputation has been sullied. You saw something online and you thought, yeah, that sounds right. And so you start sharing it on your page, you know, and then you find out later it's not even true. And now your friends and family members that saw you posting that, thinking, what in the world were you thinking and you find your reputation somehow damaged because you were duped. Not every hoax is funny. Some of them, quite frankly, are plain old cruel. What do you think would be the most cruel hoax of all time? What do you think might be the cruelest hoax that's ever been perpetrated upon the human race? about this one? What if Jesus never really did come back to life? What if Jesus Christ never did come back to life? If that's true, millions of people over the centuries and around the world have been duped, including most of us here in this room. Let's see this morning what God's Word says about that. What if Jesus Christ never came back to life again? Join me if you have a copy of the Bible with you or someone near you has one and wants to share. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20. 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. And as you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, let me give you just briefly a little bit of background. Paul wrote this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a Greek city. And many of these young believers in this nascent church in Corinth came into the church with a Greek philosophy. They had been steeped from childhood into the thinking of the Greek people among whom they lived. And part of the thinking in Greek pagan philosophy was this. The body, the physical body is like a prison to the immortal soul. And so the ideal is to be freed from this prison of the body. The soul is finally released upon death, finally released from this prison of the physical body. Now, if that was your thinking, that was what you were taught growing up, that the physical body is like a prison to the soul, and then thinking about resurrection of the physical body would make no sense. Why would anyone want to resurrect a physical body Whenever, finally, the physical body dies and the immortal soul is released from this prison. And so many of these young Christians in the church in Corinth were saying, there's no physical resurrection from the dead. There's no physical resurrection. And Paul's writing this letter, and part of his letter, he's addressing that issue. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 will will warm your heart, stir your mind. As Paul deals with this issue, writing to the Corinthians... And part of his rationale, part of his reasoning is think about what you're saying, people. If there's no resurrection from the dead, what does that say about Jesus Christ? What does that say about the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave? And if Jesus Christ never was resurrected from the dead, what's that mean for you? What's that mean for me? And here in this brief passage that we're going to look at today, verses 12 through 19 in particular, he gives six reasons, six hmm, logical, I want to say horrifying, ramifications if that is actually true. If it's true that Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, think about these six things they are horrifying. Let me read aloud for you now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 12. The Word of God says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So we're going to look at the answers to the question, what if the resurrection of Jesus is in fact just a hoax? Or people might even say in our culture, just a myth. Paul says if that's true, think about these six things. Number one the teaching of the apostles would be in vain. It would be useless, meaningless. It would just be hollow, hollow, empty promises. Did you ever get one of those sweepstakes things in the mail? You know, it says on the envelope, you know, you may have won a million dollars. And you think, oh. And then you look at the envelope and it's addressed to occupant. <laughs> you know, what do you do when you get mail like that? I hope you do what I do. I walk over to the wastebasket, and I throw it away. You think that envelope is meaningless. It's meaningless. The contents of that envelope are vain. There's nothing there. And Paul is saying here that if it's true that Jesus never rose from the dead, then the teaching of the apostles is that empty. It would be like trying to take Monopoly money to the grocery store and paying from your groceries. It isn't going to work. There's nothing to it. If the teaching of the apostles about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, then why do we even bother reading our New Testaments? Why do we bother listening to sermons from the Bible? Why listen to music that's based on the Scriptures? It would all be meaningless. Not only that, but a second ramification. If it's true that Jesus never rose from the dead, not only is the teaching of the apostles empty, vain, but it also would mean that the apostles are actually false witnesses. They're liars. What had Paul and the other apostles been saying about Jesus Christ? Right here in this same chapter, let your eyes drift back up to verses 3 and 4. Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he says, For I was delivered to you as of first importance. We would say, now this is the most important thing you could ever know. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. When I was a little boy, my mother taught me to memorize this passage back in the old King James days. And I remember even as a boy remembering my mother's words that this is of first importance. This is one of the most important things you could know, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He really was buried. He really was dead. And God really did raise him from the dead. Now, Paul and the other apostles had been teaching that. They'd been teaching that for decades. And Paul says, but if it's true that Jesus never came back alive again, if he was never physically resurrected, then not only is our teaching, our preaching, empty, meaningless, but it would mean that we are false witnesses. We're liars. Now, something I've been thinking about as I've been preparing this sermon, I was thinking about the men who preached this, the apostles. You think of men like Matthew and Peter and John and Paul. What did they have to gain? If they were lying about all this, they'd say, hey, guys, that Jesus came back alive again. Well, we know that didn't happen. What would that mean for them? Did you know that apart from the Apostle John, so far as we know, apart from the Apostle John, all the other apostles died martyrs' death? All of them. Killed. Killed for preaching the gospel. So if they're they're perpetrating a, a lie, if they got together and concocted this hoax, But did that gain them? Did they gain earthly wealth from that? Were they prosperity preachers? Oh, far from it. Paul gives his own testimony about being shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and abandoned. And eventually, he literally lost his head for preaching the gospel. But Paul says, you know what? If Jesus remains dead, not only is our teaching empty, but... We're liars. We and my fellow apostles were deceivers. There's a third terrible consequence if Jesus never rose from the dead. Look at verse 14 again. It says, Our faith is vain. Your faith is vain. It's worthless. There's no reality. If you say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and yet you find out that Jesus never came back alive again, your faith means nothing. You've you've bought into this lie, you've bought into this hoax, you've bought the Brooklyn Bridge. If Jesus is still dead, think about the consequences of this. If, if Jesus is still dead, we have no hope of justification before God. We have no forgiveness of sins. There's no redemption from our old slave master of Satan. In fact, the fourth reason that follows on the heels here in verse 17, Paul says, if Jesus is still dead, we're still on our sins we're still in our sins. And, and you might be hearing that and thinking, whoa, 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 we're still in our sins. Wait a minute, I, th- I thought it was the cross that redeemed us from the sins, our sins. It was the cross of Jesus. It was the cross of Jesus that saved us from our sins. But listen to this, if Jesus stayed dead, what would that say about the cross work of Jesus Christ? If Jesus had stayed dead... What would that mean about everything he did in living a perfect life and dying on the cross? You know what would it mean? I'll just say this bluntly in American English. It didn't work. That's what that would mean. It didn't work. Whatever Jesus did in his life and in his death didn't work had he stayed dead. If you're nimble of finger, you might join me in Romans chapter 4. I just want to read a few verses from Romans In verse 25 of Romans 4, it says this, that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, we don't use the word justification in everyday language, but what that means is declared righteous by God. And so when you and I have our turn to stand before the holy God, why would he look at you, why would he look at me and say, I declare you righteous? I'm going to consider you. I'm going to count you as being righteous when you know in your heart that you've sinned. Someone else's righteousness was attributed to you. But Paul says here in this letter, Romans, he says if Jesus had stayed dead, then there's no justification. There's no reason to hope that God will look at you and declare you righteous before his holy throne. While we're in the book of Romans... Look in the next chapter, verses 8 through 10. And and while you're looking for that, let me just say that I think in our gospel presentations, we often diminish the value of the resurrection. The resurrection is part of the gospel message. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and following, it says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the cross. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And here in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an integral part of your salvation of my salvation. It's the living proof. The fact that Jesus was brought back again to life is living proof that the debt was paid in full. That God had righteous requirements. When he made Adam and Eve, he had righteous requirements for his image bearers. I want you to follow me. I want you to love me. I want you to obey me 100% of the time. And they didn't do it, did they? And neither have we. But Jesus Christ came and lived the life that we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and then when he came alive again, that was proof. That was proof that everything he did satisfied the righteous requirements of the Heavenly Father. The Father raised him from the dead, saying, Yes, I fully accept what you've done on behalf of your people. Paid in full. Remember what we're learning here, that fourth reason is we're still in our sins. What a dreadful thought. If Jesus is still dead, we're still in our sins. Listen, friends, Good Friday isn't good without Resurrection Sunday. We need the resurrection. We need a resurrected Savior. Even as we were singing this morning about our great high priest, we have a strong and perfect plea. We have a great high priest. Before I move on, I just want to challenge you with something that's soul-shaking, knee-knocking. You're going to die, and so am I. And the Bible says very clearly, it's appointed unto every human being to die. And then it says the judgment. So we will all, you and I, will each stand before our Creator God. Now let me remind us, that the God who made us knows everything. He knows not not just everything you've ever done. He knows everything you've ever said. He knows everything you've ever thought. He knows every motive you've ever felt. He knows everything about you. And now that you've died and you're standing before the righteous throne, the righteous throne of the all-knowing God, What will be your plea? What will you say to him on that day? If Jesus is still dead, if Jesus is still in the grave, he's not going to be there to plead your case. What do you have to say? What what do you have to say that would satisfy this all-knowing, all-righteous God? I did my best. I was sincere. I'm not as bad as some people I know. Can you picture the all-knowing, all-holy God looking at you in that moment and say, oh, well, then okay. I don't think so. Do you know what your only hope and my only hope is as we stand before the all-knowing, all-holy God is the one seated at his right hand. And for you to say, I'm I'm with him. I'm with him and he is for me. He is for me. He died for me. In my place condemned, he stood. Now if that is your plea, the God on that throne, the all-knowing, all-holy God will say, welcome into my presence. Not because of anything you have done, but because of everything he, Jesus Christ, has done. But if Jesus Christ is still in the grave, my friends, you and I don't have that hope. And that's what Paul is saying here. If Jesus Christ is still dead, we're still in our sins. And then he gives a fifth horrifying consequence of Jesus is still in the grave. And he mentions that in verse 18. And pastorally, this... Moves my heart currently, because so many people in our church have been touched by death recently. The reason Pastor Mark's not here to preach today is he's doing his grandmother's funeral. We have people in our church that have lost spouses recently. Spouses, life mates. We have people who have lost parents, sisters, friends you know what Paul says here in verse 18? He says, if it's true that Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And when he says perish there, he means finally. That there's no more hope. If Jesus is still in the grave, then those who have professed his name have died with no future hope. Tragic. And then there's a sixth, dreadful consequence if Jesus is still in the grave. He says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. I think of all the work for the kingdom of Christ that's been spent has been meaningless. The time, the money, the effort that we've invested individually and as a church in telling people about God and eternity has been to no avail. All the time and money and effort, blood, sweat, tears, sacrifices, suffering, has all been a waste of time. Our sacrifices have been senseless. If Jesus is still in the grave, then then why in the world did we ever listen to this talk about dying to self or taking up your cross when the people around us, the unsaved people around us have seemed to have lived pleasanter lives? Why have we bypassed worldly pleasures? What was the point in that when we could have been living for ourselves? Our hope in the future has been groundless. We've given up drinking from the puddles of pleasures of this life because we had our hopes set on drinking from clear, cool springs of heaven only to die and find out it wasn't true. Oh, cruel mirage! Paul says in this same chapter, verse we haven't read yet. In verse 32, he says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, if there's no eternity, if there's no resurrected Jesus Christ, then why are we why are we sacrificing our time, our money, our effort, our lives? We're just a pack of pitiful fools. So you can see and I can see these six reasons that Paul gives, these six dreadful consequences if Jesus Christ were still in the grave. The teaching of the apostles is vain. It's useless. The apostles are, in fact, false witnesses. Our faith is in vain. We're still in our sins. The believers who have already died have perished, and we Christians are to be pitied more than anyone else. Those are sobering things to think about, isn't it? All of those six, or each one of them individually and collectively, it's a dreadful thing to consider. If Jesus is still in the grave, do you want to read another verse? So do I. Verse 20. <laughs> and here it comes, friends. you listening? Verse 20 says, But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, but as a matter of fact, Jesus has risen from the dead. It is indisputable proof. He talks about the resurrection in terms of being sure. And denying the resurrection, quite frankly, is just irrational. It's indisputable historical fact that God the Father did indeed raise Jesus from the dead. And that the resurrected, the physically resurrected Jesus Christ was seen by a multitude of witnesses. My Bible's still open to 1 Corinthians 15. We read verses 3 and 4 a little while ago. Let me read verse 4 again and then continue on through verse 8. I'm in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 4 again. It says, he, Jesus was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let's continue. And then he appeared to Cephas, another name would be Peter, Then to the twelve, then he appeared to, listen, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that would be the guy that wrote the book of James. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know, in our court system, how many witnesses do you need to make a case? At least two. The word of one person doesn't count. You need someone, another independent witness, to confirm that that, whatever it was, really did happen. And if you have three or four or five or six, people say, well, that, that seems like a close case, doesn't it? Or how about seven or eight or nine or ten or eleven or twelve? Or, or maybe how about fifteen or twenty? How about fifty? How about a hundred? How about five hundred? How about more than five hundred? The Apostle Paul says, not only did Jesus Christ rise from the dead, but there were bunches of people who saw him physically raised. And quite frankly, some of them saw him eat food and drink drink. And when he appeared to Thomas, the doubting Apostle, Jesus said, go ahead, Thomas, touch touch my side. Go, Go ahead, put your fingers right there in the holes. That Jesus could be touched. The physically, physically resurrected Jesus ate food, drank drink, and could be touched. And he was seen by hundreds of people. And Paul said when he wrote this letter, some of those witnesses, some of those eyewitnesses are still alive. And if some of the Corinthian believers were like, I I just can't accept the fact of the physical resurrection, Paul could have said to them, well, go ahead and interview them yourself. They're still alive. Go ask them. Ask them independently. See if they tell you the same story. That the physically resurrected Jesus Christ was seen by hundreds of people. He is risen. Yes, that indeed is important. (laughs) Listen, friends. It is true that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Therefore, listen carefully. I'm going to walk through all these six again. The apostles' teaching was not in vain. The apostles' teaching is not empty. I love what Paul says at the beginning of his letter to the Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Remember the gospel is about... The life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there are hundreds of people in this room right now who could say, that's my testimony. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit used the preaching of the gospel to save me. The apostles' teaching is not in vain. And secondly, the apostles were not liars. They were faithful preachers of God's absolute truth. This past year, I've been spending some extra time in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy. Paul wrote 2 Timothy from death row. He was almost surely in the Mamertine prison in Rome, awaiting execution. In fact, he knew execution, his execution, was soon to happen. When he wrote this last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The, the oblation, the, the, the drink offering was one of the last parts of the sacrifice. In other words, Paul's saying, I've lived my whole life as a Christian. All my Christian years have been lived as a sacrifice to God, but now I'm I'm at the end of the sacrifice. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And so he writes this last letter. He writes this last letter to his son in the faith. And what does he say? What does he say to Timothy? Does he say, oh, I regret everything I've done as a Christian. Timothy, don't follow in my steps. Timothy, go find a nice, peaceful life. Timothy, live for yourself. Drink deeply of the things of this world. From death row, the apostle Paul, the same one that wrote, 1 Corinthians said this, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then he says, But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And he tells his son in the faith, Come, suffer with me for the cause of the gospel. He tells his son that, come suffer with me. Paul's saying, son, Jesus is worth more than life. Jesus is worth dying for. The apostles were not liars. Our faith is not worthless. It's not worthless. Our faith has power now in meaning for eternity. Marcos led us in a call to worship from 1 Peter 1, verse 3, that we read a little while ago, says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a living hope. Fourthly, we are not in our sins. Praise the Lord. I'm been back in Romans for a minute here. In Romans chapter four again, verses 24 and 25, Paul says it'll be counted for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus from the dead, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That we're not in our sins. Jesus Christ lives as living proof that we are forgiven. Fifthly, the believers who have died have not perished eternally. And I know there are people in this room right now, there are people listening online who are grieving. They're grieving the loss of family members, of dear friends. I want to assure you who are grieving, your believing family members, your believing friends who have died are right now in heaven basking in the Master's smile. And you know what's going to happen one day? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, that Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He's the first. Others will follow. And Paul wrote in a different letter, 1 Thessalonians, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And you know when Jesus comes back there will be a great resurrection and we'll be with our believing relatives and friends on that day. And then sixthly (coughs) we are not to be pitied more than all men. Our life now has meaning and our future is eternal. So that Paul could say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that your testimony? Friends, it is indisputable proof that Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty, and hundreds of people saw him physically resurrected. What impact does that have on your life, on my life? (coughs) If your faith is already in Jesus Christ, let me give you several words of encouragement the truth of the resurrection strengthens our faith. The truth of the resurrection strengthens our faith. A man named Peter Lewis said this, the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ after his death at Calvary is not an option for Christians. It is not an appendix to the gospel. It lies at the core of Christianity. So let me encourage you this way pastorally. As you read your Bible, When you come across passages about the resurrection, park there for a while. Let your soul marinate in the glory of the resurrection and find if that does indeed strengthen your faith. Secondly, the truth of the resurrection enlivens our hope. Because Jesus lives, we are a people with a future. No matter what happens in this life, We have an eternal glory waiting for us. And I think about that as we go through especially difficult times. It can be challenging. (coughs) It can be challenging to go through difficult times, whether it's grief, loss of a loved one, loss of an income, loss of health, or just the pain of living in this era between the gardens of living in this fallen world. If the resurrection weren't true, that would mean there's no eternal future for us. But knowing that there's an eternal future for us strengthens and livens our hope so that we can persevere through the difficult times. Because we know that one day the resurrected living Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to make all the wrongs right. So all the pain all the grief, all the tears will be wiped away. It enlivens our hope. And then thirdly, the truth of the resurrection stirs up our zeal. When you think of the calling, the mission that all of us Christians have, of telling other people about Jesus Christ, even if it means sacrifice, even if it means suffering, knowing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he's coming back, gives us full assurance that we're not wasting our time, we're not wasting our money, we're not wasting our effort, that even our sacrifices and suffering have meaning. Did you notice how Paul ends this long chapter, 1 Corinthians 15? Look toward the end of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, let me just start reading in verse 24. We already sang about this too. (laughs) When the perishable, that's our bodies, current bodies, puts on the imperishable, our immortal bodies, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to, come to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you listening to the therefore? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. (laughs) Your life as a Christian, your efforts as a Christian, your sacrifices as a Christian, your investments as a Christian have meaning for eternity because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I have one more thing to say this morning, and that is to those of you who are not yet believers, some of you here today, some of you kids, some of you teens, some of you adults, have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. We are so glad you're here. You are here, whether you realize it or not, by divine appointment. And I believe the one reason you're here today is to hear the good news of the resurrected Jesus Christ. How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ impact you? as someone who has yet to put his or her faith in Jesus Christ. I give you this morning a living Savior. A living Savior. The author of Hebrews said this, because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because Jesus lives He is able to save you. He is able to forgive your sins. He's able to make you a child of God. And not only is he able, but he's willing. And it's as if Jesus himself, the resurrected Savior, could still say to you, even as he said to that Galilean crowd, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And if you're here today and you're weary of trying to be good enough for God, if you're here today and you're burdened about trying to impress God with your sincerity, abandon those vain attempts of making yourself right, good enough for God. It's not working, is it? Our living Savior says, come to me. It's a gracious command, actually, a gracious command. Come to me. And so I remind you this morning of that gracious command from our living Savior. Come to Christ. Will you come to him today? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, oh, how thankful we are that you raised your son from the dead, that you were fully satisfied with everything he did in his life and in his death, And you raised him back to life again physically as living proof that everything he did on our behalf worked. And Lord, I pray for the believers that are here today that you would reassure us that our our hope in your living son is meaningful and powerful and life-changing. And for those here today, Lord, that are still unsaved, would you do a miracle of grace again and draw sinners to your son, giving them eyes to see your glory in his face, giving them ears to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, taking out the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh that loves, that values your Son, Jesus Christ. Might you receive glory in saving more sinners even today. We pray in his name. Amen.